Hello, everyone. This is Ivan Lozano, your host for season two of Archives and Futures, the Latinx American podcast in partnership with the DePaul Art Museum and their exhibition of the same name. As a reminder, the Latinx American exhibition at the DePaul Art Museum is on view from January 7th to August 15th of 2021. And the exhibition features 38 Latinx artists from Chicago and beyond. Each one of the 10 episodes in this season will feature an interview with one of the artists in the show. So please check them out as we publish them every other Friday. The DePaul Art Museum Latinx American Exhibition and its accompanying programs like this one are provided through the generous support of the Andy Warhol Foundation for the Visual Arts. You can find out more about the exhibition and upcoming events at artmuseum.depaul.edu. And please share, subscribe, and rate this podcast so we can reach a wider audience. Enjoy this interview with Edra Soto, recorded on November 9, 2020. Hi, my name is Edra Soto. I'm a visual artist. Um, I think I thrive when my work connects to communities, uh, not only from my local communities, but also communities that I have uh, connected with in the past. Um, I'm also uh, the co-director of a project space called the Franklin that lives in the backyard of my home with my husband, Dan Sullivan. Um, I grew up in Puerto Rico. I uh, was born and raised in Puerto Rico. I lived in Puerto Rico 27 years before I moved anywhere else. And uh, that's good. So that's a, great, that's a good sort of intro, because one of the things that I find really fascinating, especially for people that grew up basically like not in like the coast or in big art centers, is like what was your your sort of introduction to aesthetics, like your first sort of like memories of like aesthetic experiences or of art? And how did you how did that come about? When did you start being sort of visually minded? Yeah, well, I think perhaps um, uh, during my my years. In, in college, I, I think I start becoming aware, but I, I, I also was not very experienced. I didn't travel much. Um, and I, I know that, that was somewhat limited uh, and, and it also limited my, my own perspective of where, where I live and the first times that I travel, I, I think I start being more myopic about uh, where, where I live and what make me who I am and what are the traits that, uh, or the idiosyncrasies that make me who I am. Um, and, and sort of in the path of looking for my authentic self, I, I, I think that uh, the more I travel, the more I, I I can uh, realize that how how my upbringing be becomes so influential in in and how how it shaped you throughout the years. Yeah, that's something I find really fascinating, and I want to put two, a pin on on a, on a conversation because I definitely want to talk about community. I think that's such an a, a fruitful place for us to talk about. But I also want to point out that what you said right there that. Um, 
when I see your work, there's, there's such a strong sense of place and of location. And it's almost like, I think of like little ducks, you know, like the first person they imprint, or the first like moving thing they imprint on. It's like, that's like what remains with them for most of their lives. And for you, there's, there's, there's this really kind of strong feeling of like a home or of growing up. Like I see it in like the great works, for example. And in whenever I'm around your work, it really just feels like I'm coming into like where you grew up and like your images from when you were younger. No, I didn't really react to them, but I, it was part of my, my visual culture. It was yeah. just like the, this visual references that I use now, they were part of my everyday. And I just didn't understand how they play a role in my, my art practice. It, it was much later actually yeah. that, I, that I understood what that meant in relation to what I wanted to say and how I can um, in, invite those uh, visual aspects in, how I can introduce that in my, in my visual practice uh, in a way that, that hopefully is, is coherent enough <laughs> to, yeah. uh, and inviting enough, uh, but it, it took me a while. Was that an organic process? Because, or was that something that was like a lot of false starts and stops? How did you become sort of confident and comfortable with, with those images and those, uh, those shapes? Let's call them shapes, because there's a lot of specific- Yeah, I use yeah. a lot of decorative uh, shapes, decorative uh, uh, architectural elements that uh, you can you can find in, in Puerto Rico, but also in parts of Latin America. Um, uh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, because so, I know that I'm you... a little bit tired. Oh, no problem. <laughs> That's why I'm like, ooh, you're so tired. <laughs> but yeah, you know, those are like specifically like some of the things, you know, and, and, and for a lot of artists, there's, um, and when I say a lot of artists, I also want to specifically say a lot of like American or Western white artists there's already sort of this idea that like the references and those sort of things that they grew up with are correct, are good for art making, are relevant and are sort of worth sort of bringing up. But for, for us, there's, 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 there's a lot of kind of navigating that and, and that sort of coming into that consciousness of like, I can make art about this because this is my art and this is what I wanna do. And this is something that I think has a lot to say to other people about my place in the world, about other people's place in the world. And that's like a real struggle for a lot of people. How, what was that struggle like for you? Was it difficult sort of claiming those images or? I, like I said, I think it took, it took a lot of time to for yeah. me to understand how to introduce them. Um, I'm, um, it, I, think, I think maybe uh, something that makes a lot of sense to me is that I, I tend to record things a lot and um, photograph things, okay. uh, document things. And uh, I, um, many years before starting the project Graft um, about, you know, uh, the architectural elements, yeah. I, I took a lot of pictures of these houses that uh, these are part houses that are in the neighborhood where I grew up. Um, and I, I, I was interested in this and I actually make some drawings of this 
uh, many years ago, yeah. like in the early 90s. Uh, and I, I don't know, I, I didn't know exactly what to, what to do with them, but I, I, I was interested in them for a while. And I think at some point, um, I, uh, I knew that I wanted to talk about migration and uh, my, my place in, in the United States, my relationship with the United States, and how do I do that? And I found that through these architectural elements, I am able to talk about my, my condition as a middle-class uh, person, uh, I can talk. I can talk about uh, that that type of um, that type of lifestyle. I can talk about. Um, I I can make a make a contrast in between the um, the found architecture yeah. and this middle class architecture, and I I start thinking about it. Um, because of of is um, it's it's a very uh, prominent um, these decorative patterns are very prominent in the visual culture of Puerto Rico, but um, there's no populist knowledge of the origins of the patterns. And when I was a high school teacher, uh, I think I taught from. Uh, 2001 to 2010, uh, I, I teach high school for the Chicago Public Schools and the Charter Schools. And I was fascinated by African art and African decorative patterns. And yeah. I started thinking about the relationship in between the patterns of the common houses in Puerto Rico and these particular patterns. And it made me a bit suspicious about why these patterns in Puerto Rico, there's no popular knowledge of them or great or great documentation of them. And why we don't study this in, in elementary and high school, but we, we study everything about colonial, the, the Spanish architecture, you know? Uh -huh. So I, I was thinking why this cannot be as important, if not more important than the Spanish forts that are, <laughs> are, so, that are sort of like the... Um, the thing that people think about when they think of like architecture in Puerto Rico. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, just, I just spent two weeks in Puerto Rico and I keep seeing the, the same image of the Garita, the, uh -huh. Uh -huh. that is... The, that is um, um, a particular element in the in the Spanish fort, uh, and there's the El Morro, which is in Old San Juan, uh, is like the one of the most important forts, uh, well, in Puerto Rico, and people travel to visit this this yeah. particular uh, architecture, and they they will use the uh, picture of this uh, fort in in television to sort of a represent, a represent a representation of Puerto Rico will be very typical to use this, yeah. this as a logo as yeah in the for the tourism company they will use this uh, particular Spanish fort and I was just thinking why we don't use the 
the patterns that of the houses where we live they're yeah. they're perhaps more prominent like people know more ab about them like the visually but not not in in its origins so and i, I mm -hmm. well and what i was going to say and it's also interesting that those images of the forts it's also presenting this idea of puerto rico and puerto ricans as a population that has been colonized yeah and, and it's so comfortable too yeah. <laughs> sort of like we resonate like here this yeah. is exactly what you know what we are <laughs> and to me it's such a surprise because um i don't think that is like the popular way people manifest themselves like we were calling it no nobody's like saying that they're like we want to be free right, <laughs> which is yeah. another complicated subject but uh well, the, yeah. the, it is it is very complicated because it's too many years of being under one regime and how how things will look like without that economy how things will look like yeah that's an interesting point when thinking about like our sort of identity as like Latinos or Latinx or however that term is sort of used or deployed and sometimes like becomes either something that works for us or against us because we all come from these hybrid identities and these identities that were born from colonization from really dark negative things and people sort of not leaving us or not giving us the agency and things being forced on us so I think it's also really interesting how the great project is a way that you're bringing all those elements from um from puerto rico and then just in the way that in the same way that like for example those our african motifs are showing up in those designs now these things are showing up in the architecture you're putting them in the architecture of these other spaces somewhere else and it's this recurrence it's this sort of like claiming the space through those elements back for yourself and for your for like your ancestors in the way or for like the elements that you're sort of come from and I'm interested in that. Do you think about that when you install those things as like a reclaiming, especially I think like the window ones, um, do you think, does it become then like a home for you? Is that is that part of the project for you? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I think about, uh, I sometimes talk about this vernacular architecture. I talk yeah. about it as, as if it was, um, my my physical presence like how you insert yourself yes so uh so that's why the project is called graft you know graft uh -huh. is a type of screen skin transfer and i start thinking about the uh architecture but i but like the humanity behind architecture or how do we kind of talk about things that are uh, more human relatable like uh, the warmth you know of, of the human body in in relation to architecture you know when we think about architecture we think about shelter and protection but we yeah. don't think about it in terms of like the humanity <laughs> yeah and that sort of vernacular architecture that you're talking about it also i think shows up in like the flags that are now for example at show at the mca because it's also this easy way the flag is like a claiming you know it's like this is my flag i'm putting it here this is like what i want to represent or how i want to be understood and i think that's really interesting also it's sort of bringing back again this sense of place and these images that you're sort of repurposing to to locate yourself but also to to claim that space as like this is where i am yeah i and i already was 
uh, working on graft when I when I did these flags, uh, the Tropical American series that is at the Museum of Contemporary Art. Um, and I have, I have, I think in the first installation that I did of Tropical American of the flags, I, I, it was in a alternative gallery space and it was a, a, a type of apartment gallery uh, back in 2014. Um, and uh, I sort of decorated everything around it. So uh, the, the, the flags kind of uh, glow in, in, in their drive in their in their green in their yeah. tones of green so I painted the room like uh, in, in a very powdery kind of pink and I framed the flags in tones of red and and gold uh, and I had some uh, representations of the uh, raw iron fences on uh, that I made by taping using uh, uh, reflective tape on the windows uh, of, the, of the space. So I, I already was thinking about both uh, things, but the, the flags are definitely, I saw it as an opportunity of manifesting some sense of pa patriotism and, and definitely perhaps a little more, more literal and sort of in, joining some a movement that is that was already that historically has been artists have been joining for years, you know, like ma the making of of a flag, and it wasn't really incredibly popular when I made them. Um, but the political climate in Puerto Rico has always been, ex uh, you know, uh, di difficult. Yeah. Uh, and. I cannot recall exactly what was happening at that time, but I I, rem I always think about the tension in between the the status and between the United States and Puerto Rico. And it 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 I was uh, doing a residency at the Robert Rauschenberg uh -huh. uh, Foundation, and you know you can you can see aspects of Rauschenberg's work and 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 his patriotic manifestations. So I. It, it, I thought, oh, I think this could be an interesting conversation as well. So I, I sort of felt motivated from right and left. And then while I was there, there was a, a, a man-made uh, path of uh, beautiful tropical plants. And they were gigantic, yeah, like amazing, beautiful leaves. And I, I thought about them as paper and I... I borrow some took some of them and cut them and start making patterns with them so um but yeah i, th I think that um that move was a, a bit more literal than than the rejas i think are can be a, a bit more obscure like what what does that mean what is you know what is doing but it's clear to me now but I, it also took me a while to be comfortable about because i I trust my instinct a lot. I don't. Uh, I, I think that's such an important point to bring up because people, you know, it's it's so easy to to not trust your instinct, especially when you're not part of sort of the dominant group. And sometimes the work it might take five, ten years for you, even as a maker, to really kind of understand where it comes from or like the sort of like importance in your body of work. And I think that's something that's also very hidden 
especially, you know, when you're going through like educational programs, the idea is that you already know exactly what this is about and exactly what it's going to do. And it might take you 10 years to figure out why you did something. Yeah. Also that the making, making the flags, uh, you know, that is part of a tradition is, is something that wasn't necessarily, it's something that I never done before. I never th thought I'd be interested in kind of joining that tra patriotic tradition. Uh, never think about myself as somebody that have too, too much interest in politics. <laughs> so I, to me, um, it was also like, surprise move i i just thought this feels right now right now it feels it feels right i think i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna go with it um i didn't even have a plan to print these flags in in fabric i was thinking yeah. about making prints and um during um the residency the people that work there the technicians that help us they showed me this this fabric and they told me this is a new technology. They're sending us this sample of this, right. this type of fabric to print. Do you wanna do you wanna try it out? And we are know we know you're making flags. So it wasn't even my idea <laughs> to make the flags in this silk, you know. And I was I was like, yeah, this is like I totally oh, I'm, yeah. I'm super open to like I, you know, I'm not gonna be like tell me what to do, but I, I'm super open to sort of like try things out. And I, you know, so I, I already had the, the, uh, the print, uh, the prints made, um, the images made. So it, the surface, it was great that somebody suggested uh, an, a different surface than the one that I already had planned because it had made it more flexible for me. Um, yeah. That's something I really appreciate about your work also, the sort of the flexibility of it or the ability of your work to sort of fill the space that it ends up in. Your work is, has that sort of built into it, that, that ability to, like a graph, to sort of grow and conform based on where it is. And I think that's something that's really kind of an incredible part of, of, of your process. Thanks. How does that show up when you're making it? What is the sort of the, the, the studio process like for you or the creation? Well, I, I have a lot of docu documentation. I use my sources to, um, to assess uh, a space. Um, and I also, you know, talking about flexibility, I think about all the different possibilities of, uh, and try to explore them and, and make visualizations of those yeah. and not settle on one particular way of doing things, mainly because they're complicated subjects sometimes, or, uh, and, and I, I feel like if I, I explore the different possibilities and what is the potential of this project at, the, at its, their different levels, that perhaps I will, I will find, <laughs> you know, some sort of uh, connection, you know, at the end, I mean, I think my goal will be how you, how I connect uh, with people uh, through my through my through this language that I you know that I invent through my my projects. You know, 
That's I, I, I love that you brought that up because I was just going to bring up that your work doesn't always seem like specifically objects, but it seems like a conversation. Like you create things and you have this design and you have these elements and the end result is a conversation between you and the viewer. And I think that's a really interesting part of your work. And it comes back to this idea of community in your practice and of bringing other people in that I think is so, so beautiful about what you do. Um, Thank you. To bring it back, uh, the first time that I met you, I think was uh, when you, uh, you and Josue Pellot were kind enough to include me in the show, coming back again to flags and the idea of like, what does a flag mean and what, how do we take up this space? It was a show at the Chicago Cultural Center called Present Standard, specifically thinking about like that idea of flag making. Um, what was your experience like with that show? I mean, it seems like you think through things also in your curatorial practice in some ways. Well, um, when Josue and I, and I learned that um, there, there was an opportunity to curate an, an exhibition of Latinx artists uh, at the Cultural Center, to me, I, I just saw like <laughs> many lights. I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. What an amazing, what an amazing opportunity. Uh, and also to set a precedent because it's the first time that they sort of allow anybody that is not a curator at the cultural center to organize an exhibition of this of this kind and of, uh, and, and significant in yeah. a large exhibition. So um, I um, I think I I folk uh, I I focus with Josue. We were talking about the different subjects and we end up focusing about the idea of a flag, but like a, a sort of expansive uh, way of thinking about the flags. At the end, I think, uh, well, it, it was great because it, it was, a, a, I felt like it was an opportunity to celebrate and including all like, you know, a, a really, um, a great variety of voices and mediums, and um, yeah, I was I was kind of enamored by by the result. You know, I loved how it turned out. I was I couldn't believe like how beautiful the installations in the different galleries look. I was really really incredibly happy, and we, you know, I I I kind of also. Um, I know I cannot do it all. <laughs> I never think of myself as somebody that can do it all. So I usually bring other people in or contributors. And I, uh, we had a number of um, uh, contributors for the for the catalog of yeah. the exhibition. Uh, so that was that was also kind of like a, a really awesome part of this project. And for people, for your audience, you know, they can. They can find a PDF of this of this catalog on on my website. It's on the PDF section, uh, so it, it's a it's a great um, memento of, of of that time. You yeah, know? it's a really great resource, and I think it really marked a moment also in Chicago and like in the in, in in the arts community in Chicago because it allowed so many of us to meet. You know, like I've made so many friendships and made so many contacts because of that show. 
Um, I'm so you know, glad to hear that. Yeah, the writing was so good too. You know, the fact that like you paired us with all these people to sort of write about the work. It was just, you know, it, it was a really kind of, it was a really incredible experience to be a part of that. Um, so thank you for that. And thank you, Jose. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and then, yeah, go check out that catalog because also it's just a great resource. And also to see like a moment, I think, of kind of an awakening of a consciousness also in the artists of Chicago that, 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 um, was starting to build up, it wasn't fully there. And you know, there's so many of those artists in that show have had so much success uh, since then. Oh, yeah. A lot of them are also actually in this show in this Latinx America um, at DPAM, which is, which is great. Um, and that also leads me to something else. I was talking about community. And I think one of the wonderful, and one of the things that makes you such an essential part of like the art sort of ecosystem in Chicago is the Franklin and all the shows that you do and the community that you create there and all the links that you make between people. Where did that come from? Well, I think it was, I think it comes out of my, my need for doing my own thing, <laughs> not really waiting for anything or anybody. Just I've, I've always had this idea. Yeah. You don't have to wait for anything. You can just do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, I mean, that's why I became an artist to sort of do, you know, think yeah. that I can do what I want. But I definitely live with the fantasy that I can do what I want. <laughs> I mean, I, you're, you're doing a lot, which is kind of incredible. <laughs> I was going through your website and looking at the news section and you are so prolific and you make... Uh, you end up in like so many shows and, and, and residencies and, and, and opportunities. You're constantly moving and there's constantly, I get your emails all the time and I'm always like, how does Edra find so many, so much time to do everything? So it's a... <laughs> I don't even know, yeah. I, <laughs> all I do is sit here and work all the time. <laughs> I wake up, oh, I have to get things done. <laughs> but, but it's I an encouraging thing to see how how your life and your I don't want to call it an art career but just your 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 life your personal life and your life as an artist are also so tied together you know you also collaborate so much with your with, with Dan you know at um at the Franklin and also with Doc Six Collective and things that you do there and it's just such a great and uh heartwarming uh mm -hmm. thing to see you know how 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 that sort of moves and how that happens in your life yeah, no, I feel incredibly fortunate because um, we we kind of agree in so many things, you know, like from the beginning, since we, since we got married, we moved to this house. When we moved to this house where the Franklin lives, it was, it was like the easiest thing to, to uh, renovate because we, we agree pretty much in everything. <laughs> And that is so rare, right? But uh, yeah, we we do. So uh, not that we don't have conflict, you know. <laughs> that would be not, not accurate to think uh -huh. that. But um, with the Franklin as well, I felt like it was so fluid for us yeah. designing the Franklin and fabricating the Franklin. We both love art so much. Like, I mean, curating to me comes out of my, my true love for art and love, like, that I love art. I love, yeah. uh, it sort of uh, nurtures my life. So I think about the, co the collecting became um, 
pretty spontaneous because I, I also like people to have my work and I think about the uh, ex exchange as a something that, you know, that only artists have that kind of access. Yeah. So why not use it? So we do, I do a lot of exchange with other artists. Um, and then we, we start buying work. Dan and I start purchasing work from nonprofit organizations or artists run non, um, fundraisers. And, and so the Franklin and the economy of the Franklin is all are, is tied to, to the artist run community um, and the collection. Uh, and it's, it's been uh, in the last couple of years, it's, it's been a bit of, of a struggle for me to maintain the Franklin because I'm pretty busy in, my, in, in my career. And I want the Franklin to, to live and to exist and to have exhibitions because I, I, I love seeing, I love seeing the Franklin, you know, I love seeing, I love seeing uh, what it provides, you know, I, I think about that our model is, um, you know, a model uh, based on, and propelled by generosity. We think about, you know, uh, we, we don't work with money. Uh, we don't also don't, don't want money from the artists, we will help um, realize a project if the artists need need assistance. And I share the shipping cost if uh, the work comes from out of town and things like that. Um, so I and also like it's a, it's also a space that allow me to be to be fluid and it's spontaneous when it comes to programming as well. Um, I don't feel the pressure of uh, you know, an institution, because I'm not, <laughs> but also um, a, a little bit of responsibility for sure. I don't want to disappoint the artists that we work with. And sometimes I, I, I approach the artists and then time pass. And <laughs> I'm like, I think I don't have time to put together this show now or to host the show properly. So I'm going to wait. And so, but I, I used to, um, really like a program a year ahead of time and I do like 10 shows a year and this is not the case anymore. I don't, uh -huh. I don't know, but, but I had the energy back then to do it and it was fun to do it that way. So I guess I just have to, I, I have to obey how I feel. And, and I mean, I can't, I can do more than what I, <laughs> I possibly can handle, so. How do you think that experience has affected your personal practice? The experience of being, you know, sort of on the other side with the Franklin. Well, uh, I think the Franklin, the Franklin have been pure, purely beneficial to my, to my art practice. Um, I, yeah, I don't think I have anything negative that have come from the Franklin, you know. As far as I can remember, maybe maybe yeah. maybe one or two artists disappointed <laughs> or me disappointed of oh, uh, like, yeah. the expectations, yeah. you know, of what was supposed to happen versus what happened. But um, but yeah, it's been it's been pretty positive, and also it have uh, give me a, a place as a as an independent curator or thinker, however, however people want to label things, I, I actually don't care. I don't think of myself as, as a 
curator. I, I, I think about installation work when I think about uh, curating and organizing things. Um, uh, I think my love for installation work is what brought me to organize exhibitions. Yeah. Um, and, but yeah, I never have, I, I don't, I never will have the desire to work at an for an institution as a curator. I, I'm, I'm very happy to do it as a, as a community, uh, a type of exchange or, or uh, gift of for of for visibility, um, and and just uh, housing culture in a neighborhood, you know, uh, a neighborhood that don't, there's no culture around. Right, people. yeah, that's another thing that I think is so great about what you do there, that you really do as much as you can to try to include your neighbors. You're so friendly and open to like bringing them in too, to bring the community in. And it's a community that is, has changed so much and is going to keep changing in Chicago. Um, and um, yeah, I think, I think the example that you set there also in the neighborhood is really, really fantastic. Which brings me to another point, education. Um, you've been teaching art for a long time and also, you know, you've sort of mentioned how important um, sort of your art education was in your development. What is, how do you feel about your role as an educator or as, or, or with education in art? Well, um, right now, uh, I actually took a break <laughs> from my role, yeah. from my role as an educator. I'm not working uh, at the school at the moment, but it definitely have helped me be become a better artist. Just understanding how to how to work uh, as a provider, you know, for uh, information, for resources. I uh, that that I that actually that learning how to be a teacher helped me to become a better artist as well. And somehow think about procedure and organization and uh, resources and research. I, all these things um, that administrative work, everything become just an important part of my art practice and uh so you talk about art art <laughs> art career <laughs> and not like but it's 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 like it's a it's career a yeah it is it's a lot of work and especially it is a lot of work it is yeah, a i think it's really work. important to mention the sort of the administrative side and the sort of the project management side of being an artist is hugely important you know especially if you want to get to a specific level it's essential. You can't not get a. You can't not do it. You have to do it. Yeah. Well, especially if you, if you already have an education in the arts and you know yeah. this, this is what you want to pursue. Um, it'd be foolish not to polish yourself in other aspects that could yeah. allow you to advance in your career because um, one don't exist without the other. You know. Yeah. I think it just important your presentation i start thinking i start valuing all the different all the details you know it's almost like you're crafting like your art is like you the way that you craft your career or your or your procedures the way that you do things and how you present things is very 
it, it, it's all about the details, right? Absolutely, yeah. We can, everybody can make things, but how you document those things, how you present those, how you talk about those things. So it's, there's a lot of, um, yeah, I think there's a lot of important things that, uh, that are so valuable to, to. Yeah, and something that, that you know, frankly, art programs don't always teach that very well. They tend to not, to sort of like, ignore that side sometimes, especially like I'm thinking in like, uh, well, I mean, in, in my, you know, in my grad program in SAIC, and then, you know, in my undergrad, there was never like a business for artists or documentation class or like how to project manage your career. That seems to be something that in the educational system is kind of forgotten for artists. Yeah, I, I do think there's courses yeah. in the institution that, you know, sort of promote uh, professionalism, if you yeah. want, I don't know, however people call it. But um, yeah, I, 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 I thought about it. I, uh, at the beginning of my, my trying to do this as a career, um, and just like my <laughs> solid passion, like I, I'm thinking, I, I don't want to do anything else. I don't know what else I can do, you know. If and and I'm doing this, so I better try to do it the best possible way that I can. And I start thinking. I mean, to me, in my personal work, details are important. So I, it, 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 it was, I guess, common sense that everything else need to have that, that level of detail. Uh, and it's not gonna be foreign to, to, to who I am. I'm not trying to fake something that I'm, I'm not. You know, I'm not right, trying right. to pretend. You know, it's gonna be at my, at my level, at the, or at the type. Um, that aligns with my personality, with my character, you know? I think everybody will have a different way of uh, sort of pursuing professionalism. And to sure. me, you know, it, it just corresponds to my, my, my personality and also have to do where I come from, you know, what, what I feel comfortable you know, it kind of it, this conversation may or talking about this made me think about the things that we deserve, that we think we deserve, versus like uh, uh, yeah. like what we accept versus like no, I I I I want I want something better. <laughs> I think that's such an important point, and it's you know it's also a huge part of what I'm why I'm doing this podcast. You know, it's a uh, it's there's not always the examples for the kinds of life and the kind of careers and the kind of practice that we want to have in the world. So it's so important not only to be really confident in what we're doing and, and our paths and to understand that there's all that difference, but also, you know, at least for myself and especially as I sort of like get older, I, I really start to think about not only what am I doing for myself, but what am I doing as an example for other people? Um, you know, for other people that are, what examples do I wish I would have had when I was growing up that would have helped me out? And I think that's something I really admire about you and your practice too, the, 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 the example that you're leaving for people and the, and the example that you're providing for your students, for other artists, for organizers, for the community. And I think that's really something to, you know, 
Charles, thank you. Likewise, likewise. I, I love that you're doing this project. What a, I love, I hope you never stop. <laughs> I never stop either. <laughs> yeah, you know, like people, people, people do great things, and then suddenly you're like, oh, why they're not doing this anymore? <laughs> yeah, so shout out, to, yeah, shout out to the Ball Art Museum because they're, you know, they're 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 funding the second season, and I think it's really great their commitment to to our work and um, the kind of practice that's happening in Chicago and just in our communities is really clear, and I'm really thankful also for for that for them. Uh, so shout out to the the Ball Art Museum. For yeah. That too. So now, I want to get to two more topics. One is just, I want to talk about your sort of your personal canon and influences. So outside of like sort of the Western Academy, like who is in your canon? Uh, who are the artists and when you're stuck or when you're thinking about your practice, you're like, oh, I remember, or I want to sort of think about this, these people. Mm. Well, I've... I have few artists uh, that are have been inspiring to me. One will be one will be David Hammonds. Oh. Uh, I wanna also think. Of, I think I well somebody that since I know her work, Abigail Deville. I'm really I'm a, I'm a big fan of her work, and I don't know. I've not. It's never been like a super fanatic of certain artists but these two artists have you know have really got yeah. to me in, in maybe in the way they talk about their practice or what they make and very moving to me um but uh i find i find inspiration also in all other art forms and music and performance and so, yeah, throw some names out for people. Let's leave some breadcrumbs for people because I think that's also really important that as an artist, our influences aren't just other artists. You know, it's literature, it's poetry, it's music, it's it's food. You know, what are some things that 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 that's sort of like feed your soul outside of just visual art? <laughs> I have really bad taste. <laughs> Perfect. Well, yeah, well, I mean, uh, I always talk about um, the. Uh, American influence mm -hmm. in that how how that sort of shape um, how I understand or how I how I think about the the kind of music that I listen to I I I love to listen to hip hop and rap and all this kind of music but it's part of like I the way I that makes sense to me is that I, that is very much a part of of the uh, popular music that I consume when I was growing up. When I was growing up, there was no internet and there was everything that I consumed came from television or, or the radio. So, uh, uh, and, and growing up in Puerto Rico, I was really intrigued about what was coming outside of Puerto Rico. So, uh, the exotic for me was all the American music or music from Mexico or other parts, you know? So I, yeah, I think about that as something really almost strange. Uh, sometimes movies that um, portray a subculture that I am not familiar at all with. And suddenly, you know, I grow up, I see the movie, I'm like, oh my God, this is, 
It was like a punk uh, era in the United States, and I have no idea. Yeah, you know? something else was happening where we were going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I had these experiences through throughout my, you know, my, my younger yeah, 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 years, up. and and those stay with me. And then I revisit this <laughs> music and this material, and I'm just fascinated because. It's, it's the unexpected, right? Like I'm all, I guess I'm always being inspired and curious about things that have, that are not necessarily like um, frame as, as my personal culture. Yeah, and then, yeah, yeah, no, I can understand that. I mean, and, and I think that's kind of, it's kind of impossible to avoid that, you know, growing up in a place that, that is such a, such a hybrid place. Uh, with so many influences, you know. Um, of course, Mexico is very different than Puerto Rico, but one thing that is really similar is that sort of, that mixing of influences that aren't ours, you know, and growing up with things that aren't part of necessarily of your culture that you somehow have to make yours in one way or another, you know. One of the both positive and also negative things that I think growing up uh, sort of becomes a point of like contact for a lot of a lot of, 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 of Latinos or Latinx or however we want to identify is that sort of attempt, especially by America, to create things like Univision or Telemundo, where you're sort of like mixing all of our cultures together and sort of somehow we're just all in the same party together. And I think that's such an interesting thing where it's there's sort not of, always very successful. <laughs> yeah, not always very but, successfully. And it yeah, was always it a lie. To, it, it tend to be it that's yeah, that's almost almost uh dangerous right because yeah. it's, it becomes like a the stereotype of what this culture is and yeah it's just uh it's n have nothing to do sometimes with our daily with existence our no, absolutely yeah. yeah and it erases so much of so many of us um you know and especially you know black people black latinos you know indigenous people um those are just like put out of the conversation fully and yes. it's really horrible. It's part of the same sort of like cultural. Um... Yeah, the repression, the sexuality also, like it's, it's not, not, yeah. not such a thing as like homosexuals and like in a soap opera, you know, like it's used like. Yeah, unless they die of AIDS like in the first like three episodes. Yeah. <laughs> not, yeah, it's, uh, it, yeah, it's very, very limited. Yes, yes, <laughs> so limiting. So yes. that's, you know, that's another thing that I think what you said about not waiting for somebody to give you the permission to do things and just leaving that as an example and bringing other people in and showing that is so important and such an essential part of, of, of at least sort of like how I experience my, my, my practice, I guess. Yeah. Another thing that I don't think I can avoid when I'm doing this season of podcasts, asking everybody, how has this pandemic affected your work and your practice? Well, um, another thing to think about maybe is like, how has it changed your, your understanding or how you, you the, the sort of the place that you give art in your life or the way that you think about the art market or the art world? Has, has that changed in the last nine months? Oh God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> I think, uh, no, because I think I thought about when I, when everything started uh, and the lockdown, yeah. uh, I, 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 
I mean, to, to me, it was, oh, um, it's like a, like a huge wave yeah. you know, of information, material uh, sources. It's like, and I, I, I thought, yeah, this is not, this is impossible for an artist to avoid if you, if you feel any, oof, any um, empathy, uh, yeah. you know, it, I found it impossible not to get involved. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah, I, uh, the way that I, that I uh, resolve it, and like, how am I going to get involved in this social justice movement? How am I going to do that? This is not like, um, very, it very, feels very specific. Yeah. I don't want to be intimidated by, by the uh, magnitude of the subject. I want, I want to think that this is, this is us, people doing this to each other. How can I address this? Um, so I, I revisited a project that I did back in 2004 and, and use the format of this project to kind of assess the moment, the uh -huh. way that I, the way that I, I, I found the most natural for me was um, thinking about um, the victims of um, police brutality. I think that really got to me. I was very upset when George Floyd died yeah. and I actually uh, remember it was so saturated in the media that uh, and I never looked to never look or search to watch the video because I as soon as you hear the story you know yeah I don't need oh, to be convinced that it's a horrible situation no, no and I, I remember that like looking through the news that the video pop out and I start seeing what's about to happen and I cover my face and I I was so upset I was thinking no this is not this is not possible this is not this this is unacceptable but yeah. I, I also felt incredibly uh, ignorant about the ex the history yeah. of, of this violence um, and I guess we should be thankful for, you know, this tragedy because it it actually pulled a, a big blinder off our eyes. You know, like we we are able to see yeah. the systematic racism, like just so in so intense. Yeah. So um, yeah, uh, I I did a I did a project. Um, I didn't <laughs> actually didn't. Uh, think about it as a project. I, I thought I'm just going to make these portraits of people that have been uh, murdered and uh, un unarmed, people yeah. that have been unarmed and murdered. I think to me that is like, you know, like. And these are the metal pieces, the income and bus metal, right? Yeah, those are beautiful. Yeah. So I, I focus I, I focus on that demographic and I, uh, I went with my husband to a, one of the manifestations um, and and saw so many banners with all the names. So I start I took pictures of this 
and then came home and starts researching for all the names that I saw in these banners and read the stories of, of these, these people. And I just thought, okay, this is, this is important. And it's not, it's not going to be something for me, it's not going to be something that, that should never, should never be forgotten. So right. I, I thought about it as a, as a way of memorializing the lives of, of these victims. And so I, I did, a, a yeah, the documentation and I, I start sharing the documentation on Instagram yeah. and, and a little expert of the story that I find from the news online and, uh, Eventually, I, I work with different people and I, I, I've been working with Luis de Jesus from Los Angeles for, for a long time. And he invited me to do like an online project and he wanted to feature this project. And I said, well, um, I think I have more work to do. I'm not, I'm not done with it, but um, I, I will reach a point when I say, okay, I'm gonna stop here and then I continue and, con and make it a continuous type of, type of project. So I found an incredible source that have like a list of thousands of thousands of people that have been murdered, that have, you know, because of mental illness. I mean, they just, the stories go on and on. And uh, from that list, I selected um, people that have been murdered that uh, were not armed. That was, that was my focus. And also uh, other cases in Chicago where uh, that happened during time of the time of COVID, I also included those portraits. I included uh, representations of murals that have been painted on boarded businesses because I thought about those as the banners that represent the social justice movement. And those also are temporary. They're not yeah. going, those are things that are not going to be there later on. So I thought it was important to document them. And I've, I've seen other people on Instagram that have, um, uh, Instagram dedicated to the documentation of this, which is amazing because yeah. it, it actually helped me because sometimes I will take a picture and I, I don't know who the author of this mural is and I want to put the credit, you know, of the, the artists that painted this work. So I'm making representations of other people's art as well. But they're all part of the, it's sort of telling the story of, of you know, this moment, the lockdown, and uh, in combination with, you know, COVID and uh, the social justice movement, it was like a, a combination of this thing and the protests. Yeah, yeah, it's been quite a year, huh? Um, one thing that I thought about a lot is um, all of these things happening in 2020. Finally, it feels like the future or like the 21st century, and just even like the framework with which we're doing this recording, the fact that like I'm in my office, you're at home, we're recording online and how all of our lives have happened in this last year. It sort of finally kind of feels like the future in some ways uh, in a way that maybe last year didn't. And I'm kind of, despite how difficult and horrible in a lot of ways this year has been, it's also, I am really thankful that 
it happen in this year because I think if this would have happened five years ago or 10 years ago, I don't know what that would have been like. That seems so impossible to even consider, you know? Um, so just to end things on a high note, <laughs> <laughs> thinking about all these things and thinking about, you know, how we're finally rid of this. Well, I mean, finally rid of, of, of the sort of the last, the, the sort of the national nightmare that we've been living in for the last four years too. Um, what are you we excited have some about? reasons to celebrate. Yeah, we do have some reasons to celebrate. <laughs> what are you excited about in 2021? What are you really excited about in like your work coming up, your practice? Oh, well, for, first I'm excited that I won't see, you know, the ex. <laughs> uh -huh, exactly. We're not yeah. going to talk about it. No, no. I'm very happy about that. <laughs> um, well, uh, currently, uh, all, all I am working on is on my 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 projects, my different art projects. I, I took a break from from teaching because I I've been I've been busy uh, working on different projects that are that some will be happening at the end before the end of this year. Some are happening next year. Um, so <laughs> it's all like, uh, you know, uh, some public art commissions, um, exhibitions, uh, all, all projects that I, I, I hope to develop. Um, I'm excited about a residency that is happening next year at Abrams Art Center. Yeah, in I heard about that. That's great, yeah. I'm very excited about that because I, I will have the opportunity to address their public plaza and perhaps it will become a public art project that um, the community can interact with. Hopefully, if you know, we it's been really hard to plan because yeah, it's hard to plan anything that have to do with uh, community yeah. right now and people gathering. Um, Oh, um, yeah, I, I was included in the, the Museo del Barrio exhibition and I'm super excited about that. Um, there's, a, yeah, there's- uh, Good there's, stuff coming. Huh? There's good stuff coming. Yeah, yeah, there's, it's fun. <laughs> now, Edra, where can people find you? On my website, edrasoto.com, people can write to me from, from the website. They can uh, also text me on Instagram as well. I'm, I'm not on Facebook so much anymore. So sometimes people, if people write to me on Facebook, uh, you know, they're all the same, the same company. It's all the same company, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I actually have worked with both. I'm actually, we're about to finish uh, a public, uh, Three public, three pavilions that I design that have integrated gardens, and uh, it, they will be open and in, inspired by the project craft. But the, I titled them Victoria after my mother. My mother loved butterflies, so I I have one garden that is be a butterfly garden dedicated to her, and they have another one of tropical plants and another one oh, of so I'm excited about that I think I think we will see the project being built uh in 
well, it's, it's already <laughs> built, but it is, uh, I guess the installation yeah. was happening in December. Um, is oh, this year or next? This year. 2020, okay. Yeah. Uh, muchísimas gracias. It's been such what a pleasure talking to you. What a pleasure to connect with you, Ivan. Yes, and nice to see you. Nice to see the cat there in the back. Shout out to the cat. Uh, and <laughs> the dog. The oh, it's a dog. I was like, yeah, I yeah. couldn't tell. She uh, acts like a cat, but it's a dog. Okay, that's, yeah, <laughs> my dog is in the crate. Like, I was like, I, I was wondering if he was going to start barking or not, but I'm glad that he has that. Uh, say hi to Dan for me. I will. And I, I hope will. to see you in person sometime soon. <laughs> Thank you. Edra, thank you so much. Thank you. Muchos besos. <laughs> and that is our interview I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did I will see you Friday after next for the next episode of this podcast but before we leave some thank yous the theme music is by La Spacer go check her out at La Spacer L-A-S-P-A-C-E-R dot com you can find us on Apple Podcasts Spotify and SoundCloud follow us on Instagram Archives and Futures this podcast was produced by me, Ivan Lozano, in Chicago, Illinois. You can find me at ivanlozano.net or Ivan Lozano Studio on Instagram. And thank you for listening. We will catch up next time with another great interview from the Latinx American Exhibition. Bye.